We're continuing where we left off. It is uh, May 31st, 2020. We're continuing with the thought of the week and prayer. Okay, and here is the thought of the week. For through him, we have access both to the thought. Let me start that over again. This is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Emphasis on by one spirit. Here, in these three words, is found the means by which our access to the Father is now possible. God the Holy Spirit's ministry is what makes all the difference here. Many times Jesus said, but when he, the Holy the Spirit of truth, comes, the disciples could only sit back and allow Jesus to paint the picture. He could only tell them about the new beginning. They would have to wait until the Spirit came to experience it. He did come at Pentecost, and instead of many living in the light of the new revelation of the Spirit, many preferred to go back to Israel and worship at the sanctuary. The new ministries of the Spirit make all the difference in who we are and our access to the Father. The baptism of the Spirit identifies us with the person of Christ. Things like the Mosaic Law, Jew or Gentile, are no longer a factor in this age. The indwelling of the Spirit, the filling of the Spirit, the sealing and the gifting of the Spirit, are now the things of which we must have an intimate understanding. This may be considered the basics of the church age. While what those things afford us get us into the deeper things and eternal purposes of God, we are not to glorify the Spirit here. The Father's plan is where he is leading us. And that is the thought of the week. And allow me to offer a brief commentary on that. Salvation, I want to be clear, is the same in every age. As it says in Ephesians 3, 8, and 9, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, this is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. But the ministries of the Spirit are unique to the church age, and they are automatic upon salvation. God has poured out his special revelation upon church-age believers. Believe and trust in him, and let his spirit guide us into all truth. And that is my commentary on that thought of the week. And now we'll have Dave with a prayer. All right, thanks, Dwight. Does anyone have any special prayer requests in your app? Uh, two. One is um, pray for Word is Truth Christian Church for our spiritual growth and also on a prayer for the world that we're living in, which is all kinds of turmoil going on. Okay. I just sound like it's about here to take it to the Father to the Word so we could go through the prayer. Father, come to you, Lord, on this Sunday, Lord. Giving praise and thanks to you, Lord, that you give us another opportunity to hear your word and go through your work, Father. 
Father, we have a special prayer request for the world, Father. We pray for those who are in Christ, Father, that you will protect us, Father, while we're here, Father, until you call us home. Father, we ask you all to guide us and to all your uniqueness, Father, to all your truth, Father. So we, even though we're struggling, Father, in the world, Father, we know we don't belong to this world, Father. So we ask you, Lord, to strengthen us, Father, to your loving grace, Father. We pray for those who are mourning through the pandemics that they're going through, Father, through this terrible virus we call the Father. We also ask you, Lord, throughout the whole world, we pray for those, because this, this world is in an uproar, Father. We ask you to guide us, Father, strengthen us, so we might do the right thing through your grace, Father. Father, as we continue to grow in grace, Father, we ask you, Heavenly Father, that the church may provide us, Father. And we, ask, we also ask you, Lord, to give strength to our pastor and to give us the word of truth and all fulfillment. These we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. And thank you, Amen. Dave and Dwight. So we're going to continue. Hopefully you have notes in front of you. We're going to pick up from last week's notes, which we just about finished, but we didn't finish. So um, right down to that last point fifth point where it says uh, and I am in you this is Christ talking he says you will be in me I will be in you are in me and in this last phrase and I am in you and then we'll try to get into uh, the next verse 21 we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit so in your notes we got down to this last point, and I am in you, and we talked about what it means. Christ is alive in us. And this is what he says, well, I'm going to come back to you, and because I live, you also will live. And that is literally, Christ is alive in us. Now, every believer, every person who is saved in this age, has the indwelling of the person of Christ. Now, of course, with a new believer, you probably won't be able to tell too much about who, what's going on inside because we haven't had opportunity for that person to grow any. So we shouldn't be judging them based on you know, what they should and should not be doing. Unlike religion where once you're saved, they give you a list of rules or commands or, that you must obey. And then you are graded on your ability to do them. Where the spiritual life is totally different. Where God the Holy Spirit has, is now in charge and takes the reins to grow you up. And he, he is, exerts different influence on how exactly we need it. So, and that's the perfect way we should all be treated individually because we are individuals. So in this case, so we have to make sure that in our growing that Christ is manifest in us, that Christ is alive. Now, there is a point at which Christ wakes up in our lives. And when is that? When do you realize that point is when your mind has been transformed enough because remember your mind is the mind of Christ and it is his life that is supposed to be lived in this world 
at some point, he's going to want to exert influence about who he is. You know, there's one thing I thought, which I didn't cover when I was teaching it, but I might as well take the opportunity to do it now. And that is, Christ said to the disciples that there was going to be the Holy Spirit coming. He's, and he, he, he first announced him, he says he's a comforter. And when you research that word, it means another like me. I'm going to send you another comforter. So that another comforter means he's comforting to the disciples. The things that he brought to them would be familiar in the person of the Holy Spirit. Right? How the personality of Christ, how he ministered to them, the things he would say to them, more, more importantly, uh, the, the teaching that he brought to them. And when the Comforter or the Holy Spirit of Truth would come, he would be like Christ. Now, there's one thing that the disciples would would know. It's because they knew who Christ was. They were able to understand who Christ was and the personality, his teaching, so forth. We have, to some degree, what that is through the Gospels. But listen, they had th over three years of being with the person of Christ. And for him to go away and says, I'm coming back to you, but I'm coming back in the person of the Spirit. He will teach you this. He will be, he will take from what is mine and make it known to you. So there was a continuity that the disciples had between what they knew about Christ for those three and a half years and what the Holy Spirit brought to them. And they could see the living Christ in them again. Okay? There was something that the foundation of the church had that I'm not sure is replicated in all of us. But it can be because we can learn who Christ is. We can learn uh, about the teaching and the Father's plan and the whole nine yards. But that familiar person that the disciples knew would be replicated in them after Pentecost. And that was something that was unique for them, I think. Even though we get the benefit and the richness of the person of Christ in us, they have that continuity. And you see scriptures that kind of echo that. When after the Spirit comes, then you will remember what I said to you. Then you'll remember when I was telling you this teaching and I was talking about this, but you couldn't quite grasp it at that point, but now you do. So, so what are we talking about? We're talking about Christ becoming alive within us. So, when it says in John 14, uh, 20, I'm going to get to back to that. Um, I don't know why my Bible is over here. Stand by. So when it says in John 14, 20, on that day you will realize that I am in my Father, you are in me, and I am in you. I think part of that is the familiar uh, knowledge of the person of Christ. He's left, and he's coming back in the person of the Spirit, and he is back in a more powerful and personal way than he was before. 
Christ had that familiar relationship with the Father. He says, the Father is in me and I am in the Father. When he says the Father's in him, even the words I speak are the Father's words. They're not my words. They're his words. That is where Jesus knew the Father to such an extent that he understood when the Father was teaching. He understood the difference between his will and the Father's will. And we can be that sensitive to the Spirit where we will understand the mind of Christ and our own will as well. So we have to continue to focus on the attention of how to recognize the sensitivity of the leading of the Spirit. Right? We have to be sensitive to His leading. We, we, we don't want to ignore and for some reason focus our attention on worthless things. So, this I am in you part. Well, Colossians is the classic verse for that. Christ in you, the hope, the absolute confidence and expectation of glory. That's what we are. And we talked about the fact that everything Christ is, we are. Christ is the creator. He's the Lord of heaven. He's always, He's the son who all the plan of the father has is now resting on his shoulders. The entire eternal purpose of God is in Christ. And we now have access to all of that. And it is not just access to the knowing of it, but we now are uh, have a role in the Father's eternal purpose. We're participants, not just spectators of what's going on. So the living Christ, living in us, and the hope of glory is one way to encapsulate the entire purpose of what God is doing in the church, what he wants out of the church. So we moved on and we went into Philippians 1, 20 through 23. I could turn to that. And I know we, we might have looked at these last week, so I won't spend a lot of time covering these again. 120 says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that, so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or death, or by death. So Paul is saying that in this. If he has to live or die, Christ is exalted in his body. Right? This, this is the resolve that he has come to in his life. Now, by growing in grace and the knowledge and truth of what we have in this age, you can get to this point where it doesn't matter. Christ, you want Christ to be exalted in your body because you realize that your life has been merged with that of Christ. You don't see yourself as independent of him. You see your life and your role given by the Father's eternal purpose. And you accept that position. You embrace that position. And then you love that position. So Paul says, verse 21, for me to live is Christ. There it is. That's literally what it means. My person 
is merged with his person. For me to live, Christ. And this is uh, bracology in Greek where they leave out words to emphasize the principle. And here the NIV put the words in. So it should say, in the Greek it says, for me to live, Christ. That's how he says it. And to die, gain. Right? He is emphatic as he is saying this. But in, of course they round it out, make it sound more like an English sentence. But in reality, he's emphatic here. He's saying for me to live, Christ. And that is all he needs to say. So we used to say it a different way when we were studying before. Uh, how would you how would you understand that? So if a person said, uh, "Ask you where are you going," you said, uh, "I'm I'm going to the store." So then they ask you again. They said, "Where where are you going?" I, I told you I'm going to the store. And if they ask you a third time, you might be a little bit exasperated. And they said, "They said where are you going?" Store. <laughs> that's it. that's all you're going to say. And that is how the Greek uses. Uh, where it leaves out words on purpose. It doesn't mean for you to add them in. It means that you're supposed to be emphatic. So you could put an explanation point after gain. For me to die, gain. For me to live, Christ. To die, gain. So anyway, and then it goes on, 22. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Remember we talked about what fruit is. Fruit is not us. We are the branch. We are not the fruit. God is the the one who produces the fruit through us. We are just the branch. And you know what? Nobody's excited about the branch. When you go to the store and, you know, if you get grapes, it's a good example. And uh, what do we do with the branch? After you eat the grapes... Do you save the branch? Do you Are you happy that you have the branch? Nobody even thinks about the branch. In fact, that's the way it's supposed to be. That's the analogy. And it's the fruit that is on the branch that is most important. We're just the branch. And we're a means to an end for God when it comes to fruit bearing. So he says, for me to live... Go on living in the body. It will mean fruitful labor for me. In other words, I'm going to allow God to produce in me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better, or better by far. And imagine that. We don't see dying as gain. We don't. We really see dying as a horrible, frightful experience. And this is the world. But Paul is really saying is, if he dies, he knows that he's going to be absent from the body, present with the Lord. The current sufferings, the turmoil in his life will be over. And he, Paul has gone through so much that he realizes that it would be better for him if he was gone. I mean, the pressure. And and it's not uncommon because when God called Paul initially, he told him, he says, uh, I'm going to show you the things that you must suffer for my name. 
Paul went through a lot of it. And you can look at a lot of it in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, where he details how he was beaten and with rods and cat of nine tails and shipwrecked and all the things that he went through and hated and chased around and had to hide and all kinds of stuff. His life was from one thing to another. But yet, because of him staying, we are eating the fruit. Even 2,000 years later that God was able to produce through this one man. And not just him, but through Peter and John and James and others as well. That we, we have as a testimony to what God is doing. So, so continuing in, in this thought, here we, we might not even finish because there's so much to talk about, but I guess we will try to wrap it up. So although it is accomplished by our minds, this is point C, being transformed by the Spirit with the mind of Christ. Right? It is accomplished by our minds being transformed. In other words, Christ in us. How do we get to this point where Christ, we, we are sensitive to the person of Christ living in us? How do we get to that point? It, is, it comes through a transformed mind. Before Christ can walk in you, you have to have your mind transformed into his image. Then he is allowed to be at home in your heart. So there's a, a scripture uh, in John, which we are not there yet. It's John 14. And it goes like this. So, so in 23, we're not there. We'll get there. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love him. And we will come to them and make our home with them. So it's different. Just to, to stay in the house is one thing, but to be at home in the house is another. So that's what is happening. That's what Jesus is saying. And, and what there are conditions to this. It has to do with love. Anyone who loves me, my Father will love them. We'll talk more about that in our next verse as well, because it goes into that. We're going to have to discuss love, you know, making sure we understand the motivation of what is love and the various ways that it's used in Scripture. So, point C, and transformed by the Spirit with the mind of Christ, uh, you know, we, we looked at we're being conformed to his image. We looked at stop being conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We looked at Second Corinthians 3.18 where it says um, that we are being uh, transformed uh, from one degree of glory to another. We are transformed into his image. This is how it happens. And then Colossians 3. One and two. I don't think we've read Colossians. Let's look at the Colossians passage. Colossians chapter 3. And uh, 1 to 2 says, since, you, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So, how does Christ manifest in us? How does the living, risen Christ, the resurrected Christ, 
come to live in us? How does that happen? It doesn't happen automatically. There is an exchange, a transition. The exchange is, as you come alive in him, he comes alive in you. We talked about mutual possession, and that's what we're talking about. So positionally, I'm in Christ. Right now, I'm in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I am seated with him in the heavenly realms in Christ. I am. That's literally my position. No matter what happens, Christ can't go anywhere eventually without me. I'm going to be part of who he is. And that's that is true of me. Even if I don't know it, or if I feel like my feet are plant, planted firmly in this world on the ground, I'm ignorant of the true calling of what God has done in my life through the baptism of the Spirit. So I died. Right? And that's what one... I could deny that. I could be like the walking dead. right? I'm, I'm trying to live a, a life in this, and I've already died. I can't live. I'm dead. So literally, as I come alive in Christ, as I focus my attention on the things above, where my life is hidden right now, and where I'm seated with Christ and at the right hand of God. That's where that's the resurrected life. That's where my focus should be while I'm here on earth. At the same time, that effectively is me being transformed into his image by me focusing on him. That is effectively the Holy Spirit leading and guiding me into all truth or growing in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That is having the mind of Christ. As that happens in me, and I am experiencing the resurrection life in heavenly realms, then Christ is also, through what I have relinquished in order to do that, gain ground on the earth. That's how that mutual possession begins to work. As I am coming alive to him in his resurrection life, seated at the right hand of God, he is coming alive in me on the earth, being able to uh, take that ground that I have given up by focusing my attention on heavenly things. So verse 2 emphasizes that point. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. So this <clears throat> set your mind means <coughs> excuse me, your attention, your affections, your motivations should be on heavenly things. That's the goal. Your life, when you wake up in the morning, you have a purpose. You know, your purpose is to to grow in the things of heaven, right? Heavenly things. Now, we have been privy or opened up to things that are in heaven. How can we know what's in heaven? Because of the Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. What, what kind of things are they? Things that eyes haven't seen, ears haven't heard, neither have they entered into the heart of mind. What are those things? They're the wisdom that was destined for our glory before time began. We have to think about a time before earth was, then obviously 
that enters into God's eternal purpose and what he was thinking about before he created earth and brought us forward. But the wisdom that was destined for our glory before time began is without regard of the experience of the earth. The experience of the earth was a means to an end to get God what he wanted. We're not focused on that that means we have to understand how it all happened and Israel and those Gentiles and all this other stuff. But now that we, are, we sit at the pinnacle of all of that and we're able to comprehend uh, the Father's eternal purpose, what he planned, and that is the wisdom that we are able to interact with God on. We are not of this world, truly. And when it says we are not of this world, God thought about us and this wisdom prior to him creating the world. So certainly we are not of the world. We're outside of that realm. And here, when he's telling us that we should be thinking or setting our mind on things above and, and clearly not on earthly things. Not on earthly things. And verse 10, there's a lot more you could read here in the context, but I'm going to skip down to verse 10. <clears throat> and it says, and put on, and have put on the new self. Which, which, what is the new self? What is, what is that person now all about? Which is being renewed. Notice it's being in the process of being renewed. It's a process. It is not automatic you flip on the light switch and then all of this happens. At each step, your volition is engaged. At each step, your humility to be led into all truth is, is now in play. And of course, the fact that you have to exercise discipline and have to exercise some sort of... Uh, place where you, you, you have to listen to God. You have to be obedient. You have to understand where he's coming from. You have to come to love the truth. Right? What will, what will you get for that? God is not going to have you working for nothing. He rewards you. He rewards you for just using your volition. That's it. He produces the fruit through you. You don't have to worry about that. All you do is allow the, the sap to flow through you, the branch. So, so this 10 verse says, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. That's, it's interesting how other verses will say in Christ. But this verse, Paul brings out, in the image of its creator. Remember, I talked about everything that Christ is, we are. So if he's the creator of all things, we also sit atop of all things as the creator role. Because we are united to him. We are one with him. The baptism of the spirit doesn't dissolve once you get your resurrection body. It continues in the eternal state. Remember, we're not of this world. Now, Israel, another thought, is of this world. 
So when the new heavens and the new earth <clears throat> and all that happens, there's still going to be Jews and Gentiles. And you, you can read the new heavens and new earth. You can read it. The nations. Nations. Ethnos. It's also translated Gentiles. They will come in. And God talks about the new Jerusalem and how he mentions the 12 tribes. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> And uh, so you get to see earthly people. They are still associated with this earth. We are heavenly people. To the extent that we have association with the earth, that is so because of our humanity. But our, our bodies, everything we, we are, God has equipped us to be a heavenly people. That is our true calling. If he just needed more earthly people, he could have just had more earthly people. But he created something brand new. That's why it says if anyone is in Christ, <clears throat> they're a new creation. And he created one new man out of the two. He didn't create another Jew or another super Gentile. He created a new man that's different from the two the raw material that he took is Jew and Gentile to make something completely never before seen new. Okay, so there's there's a lot more in that verse where it talks about being uh, renewed in knowledge. That's how the transformation process. We said it was gradual in the image of its creator. We are the we are being transformed into his image. The creator <clears throat> is Christ who created all things. But he created all things at the behest of the Father. Right? Because it was his plan. Christ didn't just wake up one day and say, you know what? I think I'm going to create. And I think I'm going to create all things. No, it was all about a plan. Okay. Let's keep going. So, I think we, we're looking at point D here in this last point of five. With every scripture, the temptation is to give all the background info, which is just about impossible. I can't do it. You must learn with the Spirit's leading. Right? When we say learn, it's not just you deciding you're going to learn something. It is God, the Holy Spirit, as he interacts with you and your humility through the word. To put it all together as well. So Ephesians 4, 12 through 15 is a good example. <clears throat> and there's one point to make here, just to note. Ephesians chapter 4, 12 says, when we're talking about 11, so Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. So the pastors and teachers, or pastor teachers, he gave all of that to equip his people for works of service. Listen, we are we take advantage of all of those gifts. We take advantage of apostles because we continue in the apostles' doctrine. We have it written for us, what they taught. The prophets, because they helped to reveal the mystery doctrine. Right? And God, it's not just... Uh, 
you know, where God uh, commissioned the Apostle Paul. He had commissioned many prophets in the New Testament. He's not talking about Old Testament prophets here. And then evangelists, without an evangelist, or people giving us the gospel, the evangelists play in a, a very important role, not only in the structure of how uh, the gospel is uh, framed in this world, right? right? They come up with things, and we may say things that evangelists have hammered out and done, done the work, and we just are benefiting from it. The pastors and teachers. So the pastors and teachers are, and, and just to note, just to note, there are teachers, people with the gift of teacher, right? And so pastor, because you may be, have the gift of teaching, but you may not be a pastor. There are such a thing as pastor teachers, right? Because they are pastors and they are teachers as well. And what does it all do? To equip, to equip his people for works of service, right? This is, the works of service is what? Fruit. That's the same things we were talking about, about the branch, just another analogy here. So that the body may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge, in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. Notice, the goal for us to grow up is not for us to become experts in the law. Hence, Pharisees, they were supposed to be the experts in the law. And then the Sadducees were uh, also experts, but they were more political in the way they approached it. And they had positions in Israel, in the Sanhedrin. So, become mature, mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That's what we're... Our objective is to be transformed into his image. So when we're finished, that's what we're going to look like, Christ. He will be in us. We'll be an extension of him. That literally, we are his body, the fullness of him, who fills everything in every way. So this is our goal. This is what we're supposed to be doing. And God gave those gifts to do it. He didn't say, you just go hammer it out yourself. You wouldn't ever be able to get there. And there are other gifts that those to the people here to equip his people for works of service. Now, just to note, I just want to make sure we, we say this. Not everybody is a pastor teacher or a, pa or a teacher. Not everybody is. Nobody, not everybody has that gift. But all of us will do teaching to some extent when it comes to the gospel or teaching the gospel or teaching our children or whatever we're doing. We will, doesn't mean you will be able, you'll be equipped by God the Holy Spirit to do these things in terms of a gift, enabled to do these things. So you may not be able to articulate. It's not that you don't know, but you may not be able to articulate it in the way that a person who has the gift does. It takes nothing away from you. And it should not make you think, oh, I wish I could be a pastor or I wish I could be a teacher. No. It should, remember, it's a part of growing up where you grow up so that God is able 
to produce works of service through you. And works of service are not only just determined by us going out and teaching the gospel. It is your particular gift. It may not even be related to uh, teaching at all. It may be related to giving or helps or uh, working you know, in some form in the church where it is not visible at all. That may be your gift. But all of that is needed for the body. So we don't want to just assume that everybody ought to be teachers. So, but what we try to do here is when you do go to teach, we want you to be accurate. We want, want to handle the word of truth accurately. You want to know it. So more than articulating it, people will know it if they're growing up. They may not be able to articulate the whole thing, but they could they will know it. So so this is the goal. Right? And we were what will happen if we get to this point? We will no longer be infants. Infants is children, but bratty children. This is napios is here, not brethos. Tossed back and forth. What happens to people who are napios? They are tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Well, that's a mouthful, but I can tell you this, they're confused. Infants, napios, they're confused. And they're willfully confused. And just think about this. If you don't grow up, you're already confused. And I do like themes, his version of Romans 12.1, where he says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. His translation from the Greek basically said, stop being conformed to the pattern of this world, because he understood that we already are conformed to the pattern of this world. We already are uh, tossed to and fro by the waves and blown here and there by the wind of t every wind of teaching and cunning and craftiness. All that's happening for us when we come to Christ. We, we don't know anything else. How do we learn it? We have to learn the way of Christ. That's the only way we get it. So what's the alternative? It's 15. Instead, speaking the truth in love. So the truth is related to love. Right? It's the motivation that we have for truth. So one of the things I used to say when I was uh, growing up, and, and I remember, I used to say, the one thing that you have to do is develop a love for the Word, right? Where it's not, you know, when you talk to people and you're going back and forth, and, you know, you can get to this place where, you know, who's right? And you're exerting your influence to show you're, you're right, and the other person's exerting their so they're bringing their scriptures and their everybody. We're fighting. One thing you don't want to lose track of, and that is your love for the word, your love for truth, because that's really all it's about. Just erase all the personality stuff out of it, and just focus on the truth. Focus on your love for the word. So even after you walk away from whomever you were speaking to. You know what they'll probably, what, what will stay with them more than anything else? That, that person loves the word. 
They will see your humility, your love for the Word, your respect for the Word. And that's infectious to people. So that love where you're totally committed to the Word of God over your own reasoning is even, that's, that's what, where we want to be when it comes to thinking about the Word. Speaking the truth in love, we will, we, we will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body. Now get this. So Ephesians 4 is not individual, it is collective. Right? When you read um, 4.12, it says to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. The body of Christ may be built up. Most people read that, that you may be built up. Well, that's true. You are an individual part of that growth, that building up. But uh, in this verse, it's collective. It's the pastors, the teachers, the prophets, the evangelists, they all are focused on the same thing, to get you to be grown up. Until we all, not some, but all reach unity in the faith. I know people are talking about, oh, i got to reach maturity. Well, it, this verse is looking at it in aggregate. It's saying God is not satisfied until we all reach unity in the faith and knowledge in the Son of God and become mature. He, and then in this verse, in 15, we see it again. In every respect, the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. It all comes back to the person of Christ. Everything rests on his shoulders. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in Christ. And that is what we have, what God has blessed us with in the heavenly realms, in Christ Jesus. So <clears throat> when we look at all of this, it's really impossible to go through. And I have to pray and ask God to, to help me. To, to work through all of this. Because the more you touch on this aspect, that detail, that nuance over here that's different from what we learned over there, and, and but I, it's impossible. So what do I do? I have to depend on God the Holy Spirit's leading. And I, I'm going to do the best I can, but I... I it's God, the Holy Spirit, who's really in control here. And every individual person. And it takes your humility and your obedience to the truth. Disregarding your personal interests and your personal you know, predilections of what you thought or could be truth. But your dedication to hearing the voice of the Spirit through the Scriptures what they teach so we're going to end this last thought with well and what more shall i say and i've ended a lot of uh scriptures and thoughts like this that were just to me overwhelming that's why i say it this way i'm going to read the verse in hebrews which still rings in my ears when i think about stuff like this i'll read it and what more shall i say in other words he told you, if you go back and read, I'll, I'll pick up some of it 
verse 29, by faith, this is Hebrews eleven twenty nine. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. When the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab became, uh, because she was welcomed by the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fiery, the fury of the, of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains of an imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us so that only with us would they be made perfect. So I, I read this, I've read this, and it has always made an impression on me. And I've always, when I get to the place where there's so much that I'm overwhelmed and I have to stop and depend on God the Holy Spirit to continue to slowly guide me through it. He can show you so much, and there could be, what more shall I say, that these people did all of these things. It's overwhelming to think about it. Anyway, so we're going to move on. That was uh, verse 20. So in your notes, this is about the time it is, oh my gosh, it's almost done. So we'll, we'll just get the introduction to the next verse. So here we are in um, John 14 and 21 in your notes. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I too will love them and show myself to them. That's 14:21 In your notes, as the spiritual dynamics of the church continue to develop, our Lord gives more understanding of the new way of life to come. The new, a new dispensation was on the horizon, and the eleven disciples would need to pay close attention to the Lord and the Spirit of Truth when He comes, with their theological worldview dashed. They had to depend on the signs, wonders, and miracles as the sure direction of God's leading. They believed in Christ. They trusted him for sure. 
but he kept saying these strange things that were hard to reconcile. Then he spoke of leaving them. They had to make sure some important decisions about Christ. I can imagine they were some restless nights. What they did take away from their experience uh, was trust in Christ. Trust in his words, even though they did not have a context or frame of reference. The same trust that led them to follow him for three years, for over three years, leaving family and business. As I write these words, the church continues to stand on the firm foundation. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. So, hopefully you can see, you know, I thought about this, this verse, and I thought, how would I put myself in a disciple's shoes? And I thought, how, what, is, what, what are their shoes like? And you, they had to believe what they didn't fully understand. That's the first thought. Jesus urged them to trust in him, even though they did not fully understand. They didn't understand where they were going. Doubt and fear could overtake them. And just imagine, today, how do you fare when you don't fully understand? But you have to depend on the foundation that you have. You want to know, right, how this works out. You want to know, how, which is one of the reasons why we do question and answer. We do opportunity for people to say what it is on their mind. What, what do they want to try to understand? And understand, just keep in mind, our understanding is progressive, right? We don't understand everything at once. And even if a baby hears the deep things, they may nod their head, but they did not get it. They did not get it because it takes a lot more capacity for them to get to the deeper things. They hear them, but they go right over their head. So fear, doubt, right? <clears throat> the disciples had all that. The voices of theological uh, divergence were all there for the disciples, just like they are there in our time, in our day. Many people are saying all kinds of things about the Bible. In fact, people are saying that I don't, there's no way you can determine what truth is. How can you determine it? So people walk away thinking, nobody knows what truth really is. And that is a lie from the devil. Or should I say it this way? The devil is a liar. And people like to say that and say amen to that. But... He is in this set where he is causing people to think that truth is relative. It can't, well, who's to say you know truth? Who's to say you over here know truth? Nobody knows what truth is, so they doubt what, and they're afraid to believe. They doubt what could easily be believed by the scriptures and, and add a little dash of humility. That's all they need. Humility and faith. God can grow you up. Listen, 
yes, there are a lot of voices out there. There's confusion everywhere. Just like it says, people being tossed to and fro and be, being uh, subject to the cunning and craftiness of deceitful men who, who lie and wait for them to deceive. All that's out there. And we're in it all the time. But God has given us the spirit of truth. And how does the spirit of truth reveal himself? Through the word of truth. Because the word is truth. It is the word of God. And it is understandable. It is understandable through the context and what is said and the ministry of the Spirit. He's the one who makes it real. I've talked to people and to them, it's like, no, I've never heard that before. I, it makes the most sense, but then they're afraid to believe. I remember one time me and Bill were ministering and the person told us that, uh, yeah, they understand what we're saying. Yeah, it's scripturally correct, but you can't go out and teach that. You can't tell people. I'm like, we couldn't believe it. We said, how can you say that? You're telling us not to go out and teach the word of God? When, the, when, when we understand it and you understand it, but it's the world won't accept it? What are you saying? People won't accept it? This is the message we're supposed to bring. Almost unbelievable. Almost came out of my shoes when he said that. After I'll ask Bill if he remembers this. Hopefully he does. But this, listen, we can determine what truth is. The Holy Spirit did not leave us as orphans. We have the ministry. We have been baptized by the Spirit. We have all of those five things operational within us right now so point b it was hard for the disciples we must admit that we don't want to look at them as knuckleheads dummies like wow were they slow well in some case jesus said it especially he says you guys when he's walking on the road to emmaus he said you guys are slow to learn Everything that God, the prophets have spoken. Slow. And you know what? We're in the same boat as slow. Right? Some are slower, some are even slower yet. Some are slowest. But slow is part of where we came from. We do not, we're spirit, we came from spiritual death. And what, what does it take? It takes a, a little humility and faith. So it was, we, we have to admit that. The disciples had it rough. And they had to go through the death, burial, and resurrection, and then ascension. So as I look at my watch, and unfortunately we're going to have to quit, I do realize we only got a little bit of ways here, but that's fine. Sometimes we just need to talk. And we will continue with this next week. And we'll build and. Uh, this verse, put it together, and uh, hopefully we'll just be, we'll come to the knowledge of the truth. Let's bow our heads as we close. Thank you, Father, for the privilege of being called, being in this particular age. We thank you for those who are on the phone and 
those who have joined the conference. And we pray that as we continue to grow in grace, that you will challenge us, continue to shake us from our secure positions of religious thinking. We pray for wisdom as we uh, focus our attention on heavenly things. We pray for this world. We pray for those who are affected by the virus, that all of these things in place and resolved will make it easier for us to go out and minister. But even if they don't get resolved, Lord, we'll continue to do what we have to, to go out and preach the gospel and to bring people to the knowledge of the truth. All this we ask in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Amen. All right, guys. Another week. We will continue.